Welcome to Sound Mind, a podcast about physician wellness and medical culture. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Gérin-Lajoie. On a recent episode of Sound Mind, called The Great Resignation Comes to Medicine, we explored how more doctors are leaving the profession due to exhaustion, burnout, and dissatisfaction. The problem is particularly acute for family doctors in private practice. In addition to providing comprehensive patient care, they deal with a significant administrative workload relative to other specialties. The CMA's 2021 National Physician Health Survey found that 45% of family physicians reported 10 to 19 hours of administrative time per week, compared to 33% of medical specialists. The shortage of family doctors in Canada is a growing crisis as more patients find themselves without access to primary care. One solution that holds promise for both patients and physicians is to expand interprofessional care teams where doctors work together with nurses, nurse practitioners, social workers, physiotherapists, pharmacists, and other healthcare professionals. Shauna Passacil is a registered nurse working at the HealthWorks Medical Clinic in Medicine Hat, Alberta. Dr. Christy Newton is a family physician in Vancouver and Associate Head of Education and Engagement at the University of British Columbia's Department of Family Medicine. Thank you both for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Carolyn. Thank you. Shauna, can you describe who works at your clinic? We are actually quite a large clinic. We have seven or eight physicians working with us, and each of them has their own primary care nurse in the office. We also have a behavioral health consultant in our office who does counseling and therapy to help with the mental health side of things. And I work under a a larger umbrella called the Primary Care Network here. Um, It serves Southern Alberta. There's about 100 physicians and I would say over 70 other health professionals, including the ones that I just mentioned, as well as dietitians. And we previously had a pharmacist and they all work to help in a physician-led office to support the chronic health diseases of patients in our communities. So as a registered nurse, how do you fit into the team aspect of the clinic? Mm -hmm. I focus on chronic disease management in the clinic. So usually it starts out with kind of three monthly follow-ups for chronic diseases like diabetes or hypertension. Um, following up on hospital discharges or new patient appointments. And we have longer times in our appointments. So sometimes as short as 20 minutes if it's a very stable follow-up appointment, but I can book as much as an hour really for someone who's coming out of hospital with a new diagnosis. And we have lots of time for education and managing their medications in our EMRs and setting them up with standing orders in the community if they need to. And then I also do a lot of lots of the admin for the physician that you talked about, going through results every day and kind of sorting through the paperwork that comes in because there's a lot of it. So triaging what I can help with and what needs to go to the physician for review and completion as well. Christy, you started your career as part of an interprofessional care team. How similar was it to what Shauna just described? It was very similar, and I'm so jealous listening to that. So in in 2006, seven, we had an interprofessional team working in the clinic with physiotherapy, occupational therapy, 
pharmacy midwifery and nurse practitioner alongside our family doctors. We also had students. So we had learners in all of those professions linked to those providers, which was what we think essential. And now I am biased as an educator, but I think part of uh, team-based care is ensuring that we train within those models so that we can sustain those models. Sadly, because of uh, system issues and academic issues, policies, gradually we lost each one of those professions. So now I, I teach in a family practice residency training clinic because we are also rolling out primary care networks in British Columbia a little differently than in Alberta. And they've had, they've struggled a little bit, but we have an interprofessional team now that we can refer to. So our interprofessional team is not co-located and I can refer to a mental health counselor, pharmacy, I believe physiotherapy. And our clinic has a contract space available for family practice nursing. However, we haven't been able to find or hire one just based on burnout, I believe. So as I say, our, my current practice has dwindled. So as a physician, what was the advantage of working in that kind of an environment? Oh, it was it was just more efficient. And we felt that we had actually provided the care that's needed for the patient. So patient care has become far too, the system has become far too complex. Patient care has become far too complex for one provider to manage all of the issues. And today, at the end of every visit, you feel like, oh, I could have done more. You're anxious about whether what you were able to do is going to be enough to get them through to the next visit. And when I was working in that team environment, I was able to do, um, you know, assess a, a musculoskeletal issue in a patient. And instead of just handing them a, a handout or referring them to a website to do exercises, I could actually engage my physiotherapy colleague and their student and book an appointment. And so I knew I was more comfortable with the fact that they were being seen and that that end piece, that other piece was going to be addressed by somebody who's, that's their specialty. And it's not just a patient handout or a website. The same as when I was working with nursing, you know, I was able to do a well baby visit and then the education and the immunizations were completed by my nursing colleague. And again, there was more time spent with the patient and I was able to go on to my next patient and that patient did receive a broader care than I can provide right now. Shauna, where did you work prior to HealthWorks? So I spent almost a decade in med surge nursing here in Medicine Hat Hospital. I spent a little bit of time in correctional nursing, actually, when I was my babies were young and I was trying to get away from shift work. Um, so I worked a little bit at corrections and I was a nurse educator there as well, and then went back full time shift work. And I just knew that I couldn't keep up with quality of life at home with two little boys and working nights and evenings and on call. So that was when I chose to move to primary care. And can you tell us a bit more about the impact that workplace had on your health and wellness? Yeah, um, I was really nervous. Actually, when I applied for the job, I was um, just in the middle of taking my ACLS course so that I could go and work down in Emerge here. <laughs> so it was quite a jump. But um, I was I was nervous. I thought I'd be bored, really. But it is the most 
fulfilled I felt in my career so far. And I graduated from nursing in 2008, I think. Um, I feel that part of my burnout from acute nursing was leaving that shift feeling like I left something undone. And I think there was an article recently, the Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions put out an article last week talking about burnout. And I think Maura McPhee from UBC actually did a survey on this and just that we're leaving, we feel a a rush to care for too many patients at once and feeling like we're not doing what we started nursing to do. And I feel like the move to primary care nursing has re- gain some of those goals that I started out nursing for in the first place. It also makes me think of the concept of moral distress a little bit, where you feel distress when you're unable to provide the care that you feel that patient deserves. So Mm -hmm. all all important, whether it's burnout or moral distress. I know a lot of the provinces are, there's lots of incentives going on in like New Brunswick and Manitoba to help keep nurses, but most people aren't going to turn down money, but that's not what's going to keep nurses in their workplace, I don't feel like. Christy, you are no longer working in an interprofessional setting. Can you tell us a bit about what happened? Yeah, so it was many things. For one profession, so academic policy didn't allow for that profession to have their faculty member work remotely and have the student work in the clinic. And the faculty member was working quite a distance away. I laugh now because we're supervising miles away and you know, half a province away sometimes now with the pandemic and virtual care. But back in 2006, 2007, that that didn't happen. It wasn't something that we had looked into. And so for some for that reason, so academic policy and supervision policy, that particular profession decided to work at a community health center and not do the driving distance back and forth. Our nurse practitioner, um, the academic policy and the compensation wasn't there. And to maintain one's competence in clinical care, you need a certain amount of clinical practice. And our nurse practitioner was actually volunteering her clinical practice time at our clinic to engage in team-based care uh, and really support that model because there was a belief that 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 model was the best to meet patient needs. And eventually she had to say, you know, I am not being valued by my faculty. I am, and because the compensation model wouldn't allow faculty payment for clinical time. And so she decided to value her time and go into clinical practice where she, um, was paid. So we lost our nurse practitioner in our clinic. So for a variety of reasons, um, we gradually lost each profession. And our last one, Again, a compensation reason, we had a clinical pharmacist who was cross-appointed between the department and pharmaceutical sciences at UBC. And after, I think, nearly 40 years, she decided to retire. And so we lost our clinical pharmacist and the department and the faculty of pharmaceutical sciences decided not to replace that role. And we lost our pharmacist. And so gradually, one by one, for a variety of reasons, many academic, many compensation issues, we gradually lost all of our different care providers. And in terms of your wellness, Christy, how different is your experience now than when you were working together with other healthcare professionals? Yeah, as Shauna has mentioned, it's that, that, and you mentioned the moral distress. It's 
It's seeing a patient and wanting to spend time with them and wanting to provide the expertise that a team has, but not being able to. And so, as I say, I leave each patient recognizing that there is still a to-do list with that patient that I'm going to have to book uh, another appointment for follow-up, or there's a to-do list that I need to refer to that non-co-located team and hope that actually gets followed up and, and the patient gets the care with that team and that I get the information back regarding what happened and how that went. And it's just an anxiety that you have. And, and also the one thing that, that hasn't come up yet, which is really uh, a challenge is with respect to communication and administrative load. And so while I have a team now with this, the primary care network structure that's being rolled out in British Columbia, I have to make a referral. So I have to complete a referral. It has to go to an external source that then triages the referral and then lets me know whether that patient is appropriate and when they'll be seen. And then they make a consult, the patient is seen, and then that information comes back. So there's layers there that that for me are un, unpaid and time. So filling out forms, receiving and reviewing consultations um, take time away from actually seeing patients. And so that's also a challenge. And we don't, we want to book as many patients as we can because we know they, they need the care. There are so many out there that don't have family doctors and we're trying our best to attach them and see them. But at the end of the day, I still have one or two hours of administrative work to do. And so to avoid burnout, we either, we, we have to decrease the number of patients we see but the compensation system isn't built that way. In the fee-for-service system, you need to see as many patients as possible to pay your overhead, to make sure you can pay your staff, to, to pay for your electronic medical records, your technology, all of the things in your practice. And so it ends up that you do that extra two hours of administrative work after a full day of patients, which eats into your family time, which you feel guilty about. So there are, are many things that have changed since having a team, because when you have a team, that administrative work even is distributed amongst the team members a little better. And so it's, yeah, it's, I, I feel anxious at the end of the day. I feel tired at the end of the day. I know I still have work to do at the end of the day. And I also know that I'm worried about many of my patients at the end of the day. Shauna, you mentioned to us that you were initially a little bit anxious about joining a family health team, but can you tell us about your experience now compared to those initial concerns? I feel I was more academic that I was worried about leaving acute care, but the amount of learning that the learning curve when it comes from acute care to actually managing 1,200 patients and all of their chronic diseases. And there's so much more than just medication administration and, and counseling. Um, we have workshops every other month here through Primary Care Network to teach on any number of subjects. We just had one with Barb Bancroft, who's from the United States, about infectious diseases. And every other month, we have some sort of workshop for learning. And then we also have Medscape and UpToDate to help help us educate ourselves a little bit more when we're coming to the physician with each patient so that, you know, we can make some educated recommendations about that managing that patient's care. 
And I feel that my skills are used to the max actually right now compared to acute care because I feel like, you know, sometimes I am just sitting in counseling a patient about some depression that they're going through, but then other times I'm trying to adjust their heart failure medications with the physician or managing paracentesis for a cirrhosis patient or different things like that. And they're all physician-led, but me and my physician work extremely closely. And so a lot of times he encourages me to come to him with a solution or come to him with a what I'm going to do with that patient. And then we kind of talk through it. And sometimes he changes it, sometimes he doesn't. But it, it was a big learning curve for me. And I love it. I love the learning. I love using all the updated guidelines. And I love an algorithm. I'm not sure if all nurses and doctors love an algorithm, but I love them. I feel like it makes everything a little bit more black and white. Um, I love that we work so closely in our clinic as well. Um, if my physician has, a, you know, he only has so many minutes with that patient and he can just walk next door to me if he if that patient needs more care or if that patient needs a referral or they have a new wound or they are a new diabetic and he doesn't want to leave them with a new prescription for insulin. So you can just walk them down the hallway and then I can take on that. And I might not be always able to spend 60 minutes with that patient that day, but we can put a face to the name and engage that patient with a couple minutes of just booking an appointment for the next day and just letting them know that we've got them. Um, I love the follow-up too. I love that you don't have to leave your shift at the end of the day and not know what's going to happen with that patient. We've got lots of reminders and follow-up tasks, and I, I rarely leave a patient without booking a follow-up. And if they decline booking a follow-up, then I always just set myself a follow-up reminder as a, a chart check phone call in three months just to check in on them. And that was during COVID, I, I did that a lot more just with some of our more vulnerable patients. I would just book like a chart check phone call in a month just to check in on them. And, and oftentimes they really didn't need anything, but they felt safer knowing that someone was checking in on them. and. And I do have a direct line in the office too. So if a patient has a crisis or needs to get a hold of us at any time, they can just call me directly and I can help with refills or ordering blood work if they're symptomatic, different things like that. So we do have some some protocols that are signed between me and the physician of what blood work I can order, different things like INRs or diabetics or whatnot. So I don't have to ask the physician for everything. That's just kind of his standard policy. And I don't always grab the physician between every appointment if there's lots of phone call appointments that I'm doing, but we'll do team conferences midday and then at the end of the day saying, oh, I, you know, I go through each patient and then I can call that patient back if there's a change in orders or anything like that. So it saves travel for the patient, especially I find a lot of the most difficult managed chronic diseases are patients that are still working and don't want to take the time off to come into the office to deal with these things. So if they know that they can go for their blood work or they can monitor their blood pressure at home and then call me during their lunch break and we can go over everything. I'm finding that there's a lot better care. And we didn't really learn that until COVID forced us to deal with these virtual appointments, but I'm finding lots of our younger patients more engaged with their diseases. It's nice to hear you, Shauna, talk about your work and it sounds so meaningful and so rewarding to you. Mm -hmm. It and is. It's inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> and I can, sometimes a patient can call in with a crisis and I can see that my doctor has a refills for one of my diabetics at 10 o'clock. So I can steal that patient and put the acute patient in at 10 o'clock so that everybody gets seen in a timely manner. A lot of our goals between 
the two of us is like avoiding walk-in, avoiding admits, avoiding eMERGE visits. So we do as much as we can just to have them seen in the office or over the phone so that we can avoid that. That's that's one thing that I've really noticed and missed with team-based care is that proactive piece. So when you talk about a, a chart check, you know, at the beginning of, of the pandemic, we tried that and we're fortunate in that in my clinic, we have resident learners and medical student learners. And so we could delegate to some extent that role to, to some of our residents. But then we, um, we actually got really busy with respect to, to following health issues with our patients. And so that proactive piece was the first piece that was dropped. So we had, you know, our lists of chronic disease patients and we had our lists of frail elderly patients and we started to proactively check every three months. But that felt that was one of the first things to, to fall by the wayside. And even with automatic recalls, we just didn't have the space in our daily appointments to to proactively bring people in for that that follow up and i actually think it impacted many of our frail elderly and some of our patients that had multiple issues in that they did feel less safe for months in their home isolated not knowing if anybody was aware of how they were doing but at the same time they probably saw on the news that healthcare workers were overworked they were exhausted they didn't want to bother us and so many things went beyond what they should have many issues and and patients suffered so to have that team and that ability to have that proactive piece or that even that psychosocial piece of connecting with somebody who's isolated really benefit like the team piece of that and the ability to have somebody on the team doing that would be great. And, and I miss that. I, I can remember when we were able to effectively do that. And of course, when you decrease prevention, it has longer term consequences, both for the patient's health, but also of course, for the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Canada's facing a shortage of healthcare professionals, both in nursing and in family medicine. Shauna, what role can team-based care play in reversing that? I think it's part of, I feel like working in the team makes me feel valued. I feel like I have a, a team that supports me just as much as I support the physician. If he checks in on me and sees how I'm doing, and I know that if I'm struggling with a patient or they come in for a, a stable follow-up, then I can just walk down the hall and grab him. There's no worrying about calling the doctor on call. There's no worrying about rushing to finish your shift. I'm not like ending the shift with either choosing between not giving care rounds to my patients or not documenting in the EMR. I feel like EMR documentation was a huge, huge toll on my time as an acute care nurse that I just felt wasn't spent efficiently. And it, it was funny because I went, I did acute care for a long time and then I went off on mat leave for a couple of years and I came back and there was these giant computers and like hours of time spent documenting in these computers, documenting care that you wish you could have actually been given properly. But instead, you're pushing these trolleys in and we were encouraged to push these computers into the patient's room and document. And that didn't feel right to me because you're not actually 
spending the time with the patient, you're looking at the computer. So I feel like as a primary care nurse, I leave knowing that everyone was taken care of properly. So I feel like lots of the studies now are talking about burnout based on patient care, not so much hours worked. You're still there for eight hours, but if it's eight hours that you feel like you're doing a really good job and you're leaving feeling appreciated and accomplished, those that's much more important than the bonuses that they're trying to throw out to nurses. Christy, you've been trying to rebuild your interprofessional team. Can you tell us how that's going? It's going. As I say, we have a contract available for uh, a community family practice nurse. However, we haven't been able to find one interested in, in practicing in our team. And as you noted, there's a shortage. I put that in air quotes of family doctors and, and nurses. And it's hard to rebuild when professionals aren't interested in going into community practice because the supports and infrastructure aren't there. I think there would be greater interest and we would have that contract filled if they, the system was better structured. So we talked about the administrative burden for professionals and the compensation issues, the overhead issues. Actually, we have increased the number of residency training spots for family practice significantly over the past few years. However, just over 40% don't go into community-based family practice. They go into things like emergency medicine, maternity care, hospital medicine, where there is the infrastructure to support them so that when they go into these practices, they actually are able to do the care that they were trained to do and not worry about inventory for your office, hiring staff, paying staff, making sure that you book enough patients to cover those costs, um, and the also the administrative burden. So much of that is done in these areas where our new grads are, are going towards. So if we could improve the system, and, and I do believe that it's getting there in British Columbia. It's just getting there very slowly. And I think it, it needs to speed up. Um, and the support for team-based care in the community needs to be a priority. So I'm happy that I at least have a, a non-co-located team of healthcare providers that over time I will likely develop improved communication efficiencies. But right now, it's still a bit of a challenge here in British Columbia. And so I really think that it will help attract more medical students and graduates into residency training. And again, we need to do that for residents as well. We need to, to provide those learning environments that are positive. And to do that, we need to feel supported. So we need a system change, but we also need a team change. Um, I think I'd like to move to a medicine hat right now to join what sounds like a highly functioning team. And uh, yeah. Thank you both for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you. Shauna Passacil is a registered nurse working in the HealthWorks Medical Clinic in Medicine Hat, Alberta. And Dr. Christy Newton is a family physician in Vancouver 
and Associate Head of Education and Engagement at the University of British Columbia's Department of Family Medicine. SoundMind is produced by PodCraft Productions. If you're looking for resources, tools, and research on the topics covered today, please visit the CMA Physician Wellness Hub at cma.ca. We'd love to hear what you think of SoundMind. Please consider giving us a rating or review through your favorite listening platform. And please share this program. It's really the best way to get the word out. I'm Dr. Caroline Géré-Lajoie. Thank you for listening. Thank you.